Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, Micah Van Hus returns with more insight into the antediluvian world, including his take on the biblical basis for giants, dinosaurs, and much more. Our largest conference of the year is almost here. Columbus, Ohio, October 26th through the 28th. This massive conference will feature over a dozen speakers, including our special keynote speaker, Jonathan Kahn. Registration is open and seats are filling up. Call 1-800-652-1144 and secure your spot. Don't miss your opportunity to hear Jonathan Kahn live in person. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com. Complete lineup of speakers, topics, and schedules are all found at swrc.com. Simply click on Events. Or you can just give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. Here's Greg Patton and author Micah Van Hus, both of whom will be at the Columbus Conference, ready for part two of their conversation on the earth as it was. Hi, everybody. I'm Greg Patton. So good to have you back with us again today and have our special guest that we listened to yesterday with much fascination talking about Micah Van Hus and his book, The Earth As It Was. Micah, welcome back to the program today. Thank you for having me again, Pastor Patton. So many things. We talked off the air that we could go for hours probably on any one of these topics, and you were wetting my whistle yesterday when you were talking about <laughs> read Psalm 82. Maybe we ought to get into that. How does that sound to start, huh? Absolutely. We're actually talking about uh, my chapter on the Watchers, which are the angels that rebelled against Elohim in Genesis and Enoch and Jude and Peter. The Watchers in Psalm 82. So this is a good theory. The Bible does not preclude it. Otherwise, I wouldn't uh, pursue the theory or talk about the theory. The Bible does allow for this theory. So here's the theory, and then I'll back it up with Scripture. The theory at the Tower of Babel, this is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. At the Tower of Babel, God divides the world into 70 different nations. I believe when he confounded their languages, he confounded them into 70 different languages. But in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, it says that God gave the nations, in my opinion, in my translation of, of the Hebrew, that he gave the nations to the angels to rule over. Seventy to seventy-two nations, we don't know the exact number. He sets angels in charge of these nations, and he chooses Israel. So we know this is, is everybody should be comfortable with the fact that Elohim, that Yahweh, chooses Israel as his nation. And that's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. He says he makes Jacob the lot of his, his inheritance, and Jacob, of course, is Israel. But he numbers the nations in Deuteronomy 32, 8, according to the number of the children of Israel, which is 70. When Joseph comes into Egypt, he takes 70 of his house with him. That is the number of Israel, is 70. So in Deuteronomy 32, 8, God divides the world into 70 nations. In the Septuagint, instead of uh, giving them according to the number of the children of Israel, he gives them to the Angelos Theos, which are the angels of God. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in Deuteronomy 32.8, he gives the nations to the Bnei Elohim, which again are the angels. 
And so this is Deuteronomy 32.8. The angels are put in charge of the nations. Now we get to Psalm chapter 82. When we're talking about Psalm 82 and these angels, we're not just talking about the chapter in the earth as it was. We are also talking about two books from now, Angels Eternal. Uh, we get into the Psalm 82 and the princes of the nation. Psalm 82 um, says that Elohim sits among the Elohim, lowercase. So basically God sits among the gods and he judges them. And he says that you need to, in so many words, he, you need to start treating humanity better or I will cast you to the earth like one of the princes uh, and you will die like men. You may not believe me, but go read Psalm chapter 82. God is judging the gods in heaven and says to treat your subjects better or I will cast you to the earth like one of the princes. So let's get into these princes. We read about the prince of Persia and these princes mostly in Daniel chapter 10, and here's what's going on. Daniel uh, has prayed to God, but he has not heard an answer. And then all of a sudden, an angel comes to him, likely Gabriel, but we don't know that from Scripture, and says, I'm sorry, I was trying to answer your prayer, but I was delayed for 21 days because I was fighting with the prince of Persia. And from Psalm chapter, excuse me, Daniel chapter 10, we know that this is an angelic being, not a human. And he says, Michael, the archangel, came and took my place in battle, and I was able to come answer your prayer, Daniel. And I must soon go because, lo, the prince of Grecia, which is Greece, the prince of Greece is coming. So from that chapter, we know that there is an evil prince set over Persia. There is an evil prince set over Greece. I do believe that these are the angels from Deuteronomy 32, that God puts angels in charge of the nations. I believe that this is the same thing as these princes of the nations. And, and then two chapters later, most people think that Michael is the leader's, leader of God's armies. He may be, but Daniel chapter 12 says that he is the prince of Israel. So Michael is the angel set over Israel, the God's chosen people. Now, we get into these princes of the nations in the New Testament, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers in heavenly places. Well, that's what this is talking about. Now, I do believe that uh, these angels may, some of them may have, especially the fallen ones, had physical bodies that people actually worshipped as the gods we know from old, uh, Baal, um, all the different gods, Dagon, uh, the ones that the Philistines worshipped. So these were probably uh, living beings, uh, just like the Watchers in Genesis chapter 6, until they were destroyed in the flood. As they die, people start to make idols to them, and so we read a lot about idol worship in the Old Testament. Um, so I do believe that this is what's going on here, but uh, regardless if you don't believe in the theory of the angels being put in charge of the nations, read Psalm 82, and it is a very interesting and telling chapter on the princes of the air and the rulers of the nations. It's fascinating. It is indeed. All of it is to me. We're talking with Micah Van Huss from Southwest Radio Church and his book, The Earth As It Was, the two others that he has published and another one he is writing, all available or will be at swrc.com, 1-800-652-1144. We talked a little bit yesterday. I'm fascinated when people want to talk to me about anything, but I always see a crowd around you and people want to know things. Are they really following up on what you had just preached or talked about, or is it some other question they might have, or I think you shared yesterday, they want to tell you some things? It's both. People want to share stuff uh, along the same lines of the mysteries of the universe and ask questions, and uh, but also ask questions about what we had just talked about. The one thing that people like to talk about the most, even more so than the Watchers and things uh, that we've talked about, is also the Nephilim, the offspring. So the Nephilim, again, were not the angels. They were the offspring of the angels, according to Genesis chapter 6. Um, but we have so much in history about the giants, 
that lived in our ancient past and giants around the world. And it's just fascinating topics. Uh, one of the most fascinating ones that people like to ask me about is the American Indians and their stories of the giants. So when we're talking about Nephilim, we're talking about giants. And one of the questions I always had growing up until I started to study this and realized what was going on was why did God tell Joshua to kill not only not conquer nations, but some of the nations just said kill the women, the children, and the animals? And as a kid, I'm always like, well, why is God telling him to just wipe them out and kill the women and children and the animals? Well, that is because, in my opinion, after my studies, that the the races that he was told to wipe out were actually races of giants, the Anakim, the Rephim, Rephaim, the Zimims, different ones mentioned in the Bible that were all giants. God wipes out uh, the giants in the flood, uh, and then they come back. Genesis chapter 6 says, in verse 4 says, there were giants on the earth in those days and also after that. Um, I don't know how they came back. That's one of the main questions I get, and the Bible doesn't give us uh, the answer, but more angels could have rebelled. There's some ancient uh, mythologies. Uh, Sumerian mythology says that there were three gods that survived the flood, and they said that a few of those survived the flood, and of course that's mythology. And one of my points in my talks is that mythology, there's a whole lot more truth to mythology than a lot of folks like to give credit. There are these stories that all link back to something that is common, and obviously the Hebrew and whoever wrote Genesis, maybe Moses, uh, is the correct uh, interpretation. So these these giants in Second Samuel, uh, we're talking about Goliath's cousins, I believe, they have six fingers. When we're talking about David killing Goliath, Second uh, Samuel says that he had six fingers. Well, we get into the American Indian uh, mythology and history. The Old World Roots of the Cherokee is obviously a history book uh, on the Cherokee, and in it, they raise their hand when the American Indian greets each other, and they raise their hand and say, how? That's the greeting, but that's also to see how many fingers you have on your hand, because according to the Old World Roots of the Cherokee, the people that had six fingers, though they may not have been giants, they had the blood of giants in their veins, and they were more prone to bloodlust, they were more prone to violence. So the American Indians greeted each other just to see how many fingers you had. Um, there are American Indian tribes in Texas and Arizona who had six toes, and the, the, the tribe members that had six toes, they were considered gods. Um, another fascinating story is that of Lovelock Cave in Nevada. Now here in Nevada, we're talking about the Paiute Indians. Sarah Winnemucca lived in the 1800s, and she recounted the history of her people as told by her grandfather, who was the chief of the Paiutes, and the fact that hundreds of years ago, the giants that lived in the hills in the southwest United States would eat, cannibalize, trap, and cannibalize the Paiute tribe members. So there were a number of tribes that got together to go to war against the red-headed giants that lived out in the southwestern United States. And they dwindled them off and killed them until there were just a few left. They cornered them in a cave in Nevada, and they lit a fire in the mouth of the cave. Most of the giants died in the cave, but some come running out, and they peppered them with arrows, and they wiped out that race of giants in the southwest United States. That is her story. She tells the story in a dress that was passed down through generation, and that dress is woven in with the red hair uh, from the giants. Now, today, anybody can go to Lovelock Cave in Nevada, and you will see the scorch marks on the entrance to the cave where the Paiutes wiped out the giants. So we have stories from all over the United States. We're talking Ohio uh, of the giant mounds and the giant skeletons found up there. And there seems to be, and I'm getting more into this in my next book, the Secret Societies book, 
uh, the cover-up of the giants in America from the Smithsonian Institution. The Smithsonian Institution, in their founding documents in 1886, 1889, it was somewhere in there, they said they will not take any viewpoint, they will not take any stance that talks of an intelligent people populating the United States pre-Columbian. So basically, they, they wouldn't even entertain the thoughts that there were more people uh, like the Israelites who came here before Columbus came. But there's actually evidence that Egyptians settled in the Grand Canyon. And again, we talk about that in the upcoming book and the Smithsonian cover-up of that. So there is a, a Smithsonian cover-up of the giants, the giant skeletons, dozens of articles from all over the United States about roughly the years 1900, and they start to get covered up after that. Fascinating topics. Now you know why so many people want to hear Micah Van Huss when we do our meetings across the country. What is he going to say this time around? Let me ask you this, Micah. Have you uh, seen any giant remains? Are there any on display anywhere in the country? There are. Capdua is a two-headed Patagonian giant. His history is, uh, he's on display in Baltimore, Maryland. I name it in the book. It's a, uh, it's a, an oddities shop in Baltimore, Maryland. His mummy is there. His mummy is 12 feet tall. He has two heads. The Spanish uh, sailors in the 1600s found him uh, in Patagonia. Um, there were a number of giants in Patagonia, in, in, according to the histories, and they found him. They killed him pretty quickly, uh, and his body has been around ever since. A number of our uh, early American explorers, Hernando de Soto, uh, Vasquez, all these explorers talk, every single one of them, the prominent ones, they talk about the giants that they saw in the Americas. Um, interesting also, you look at their portraits, uh, I'm writing about them in the new book, they actually wear Templar crosses. If you look at the early American explorers, they are wearing the Red Cross, uh, most of them. We're talking to Micah Van Hus and his book, The Earth As It Was, available at swrc.com. Or you want to call? Do it. 1-800-652-1144. How advanced? I think I've heard you touch on a couple of things in our meetings, and I, I wasn't paying close attention, so forgive me for this, but uh, about some of the technology before the flood or some of the things that, uh, I know one thing you said, I thought, where did he get that? Maybe you know what I'm talking about. So I do believe that the technology before the flood uh, was vast. I do believe that Adam and Eve were more intelligent than us. When I say I believe that there are dinosaurs uh, with us today, first of all, if you believe the Bible, you likely believe in a roughly uh, 6,000 years, the Masoretic, or 7,500-year Earth, uh, according to the Greek Septuagint, which is more of the timeline that I agree with. We, you do believe that humans and dinosaurs are created on the same day of creation. Um, so the fact that we live together is not necessarily... A stretch, at least up into a couple hundred years ago. When we get into the giants and all that, it's just fascinating topics. We're talking about the Antikythera mechanism, which is actually in the newest Indiana Jones movie, is kind of what that's about. That's okay. an ancient artifact that's got all kinds of gears. Um, it's just one of the things that shows that in the ancient past, they were a lot smarter than we think. So let's get to the good one. The Bahramastra, I believe, was a nuclear weapon that was used before the flood of Noah. Now, you may say that sounds crazy, and that's fine. But if you read the ancient Hindu religious texts, there are seven ancient Hindu religious texts, and the, specifically in the Mah, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but it's the one that starts with an M, Mahabharat, something like that, Mahabharata. It's, it's one of those books. It talks about the Brahmastra, which was 
a massive weapon. And so the words, I'm going to roughly quote it, it's in the book, the words that I'm getting ready to say are 3,500 years old. So even if you don't believe there was nuclear warfare before the flood of Noah, these words are fascinating. And we know that these words are at least 1500 BC. Basically, the words say, a giant arrow, flaming arrow, was shot into the sky, and another flaming arrow met it in the sky. In a massive explosion, a giant thunderbolt as bright as 10,000 suns melted the flesh of the two armies standing on the ground below it. For hundreds of years, no vegetation would grow in that area. Women gave birth to genetically defective humans for hundreds of years. And today, and those words are, those words are 3,500 years old. Fascinating stuff. Today in India, in the region of Rajasthan, and uh, also in the city of Mahinodaro, there's two different cities. The radiation in the skeletons at those sites are more radioactive than those at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. And there's evidence of the buildings uh, of these ruins. Secular scientists will say that these ruins are 10,000 years old. But these ruins, the stones are all melted together. Uh, so these stones went, underwent immense heat. There is a massive crater. You can see it on Google Earth uh, in the region of Rajasthan. And so it gives evidence that there was a nuclear blast in India. So I do believe that the technology before the flood was vast. Uh, when we talk about the before the flood, another fascinating topic. Um, first of all, generally what we see in the fossil record is that animals, antediluvian animals, animals before the flood were generally twice as big as they are today. Insects get a lot bigger because insects breathe differently. There's more oxygen in the atmosphere, so insects get giant back then. It's safe to say that Noah, Adam, Methuselah, Eve, that these humans were probably twice the size of what we are today, so 12 feet tall for Noah. Now, we're not saying that they were giants, though they would be to us. There were also giants that were from the Watchers that were even bigger than that, Uh, but I I think it's safe to say that uh, Noah, Adam were 12 feet tall now. Ron Wyatt uh, claims to have discovered the uh, site of the ark. He found a thumb bone, which we have pictures of the thumb bone he found, which was of a 12-foot-tall human. Uh, he says it's the thumb bone of Noah, but you know I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I agree with that, um, but it's a fascinating uh, idea. We cover that and all kinds of awesome things in the earth as it was. No wonder people want to talk to you. I've never heard about Adam possibly being 12 feet tall. That's, uh, I mean, that's good. When you get up to speak... You've got a goal. What do you want people to know, or or, or uh, after you speak, uh, where do you where do you head with your messages? Everybody's got an idea. I mean, this is just a lot of fascinating material you bring. Some of it obviously questionable. People say he's crazy, and uh, we all get that now and then. But uh, so you're going to get up to speak next conference. What do you really? What's your goal? I want to open people's eyes. Um, I do. I would not approach someone who's a new believer with this kind of information, but I have met at the conferences some people who said they came to Christ because they were watching this kind of stuff and they did not realize that this was actually the way things truly were. I believe that the Bible is truth, 100% from cover to cover, um, that God's Word is preserved. And so I believe that as Christians, believing God, that the earth was created in six days— things like that, gives us an advantage when we study the mysteries of the universe, uh, the mysteries of Scripture, because we have a solid foundation on which to stand. We don't need to look at the Bible through the lenses of the world. We look at the world through the lenses of the Bible. It's a foundation, a launching pad, to be able to answer some of these questions. I want people to know that Christ is the centerpiece of history and that there is nothing more important that they can do 
than know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, you can study Nephilim, you can study Watchers, and it's great and it's fascinating, but nothing is more important than Jesus Christ. So I want people to know not only that Christ is the centerpiece, but also that the Bible is true. And along with that, um, and of course then we're talking about there's a lot of Christians who are hesitant uh, to get into this stuff. Some of them are some of my best friends I've spent my whole life with, and that's fine. I'm okay that people don't necessarily want to get into this stuff, uh, some people. But then some people do. You know, I love studying it. It's a lot of fun to do. Have you ever had a question along the lines of what you're teaching and preaching you didn't know the answer to? Oh, yeah, there's plenty. And I already mentioned the one, probably the most common question is, how did the giants come back after the flood? Because the flood was sent to cleanse the earth yeah. of the corruption. And I, I don't there, know the there answer. There, there are theories. I don't know the answer. There is one theory that is fascinating uh, that says that all the Neanderthal skeletons that we see today are Nephilim. Now, I've never seen a giant Neanderthal skeleton, but theoretically they could be giants that had not fully grown. They had died, and so the skeletons we found, that's possible. Um, But that theory also follows a study that says that every human being on this planet today that has Neanderthal DNA in their body can trace their heritage back to three women. Now, that's fascinating because how many women, daughters of Noah, stepped off the ark, and that was three. Um, that is a fascinating idea. Now, there are studies that say we that 10% of humans on the planet have Neanderthal DNA in their bodies. There are studies that say 42%. And there's a study I read uh, a couple months ago that, that they say, well, actually, we were wrong. Every human on the planet has Neanderthal DNA in their body um, as, as DNA technology gets better. So I don't know what the answer is, but it's it's a fascinating uh, idea. So maybe the giants, maybe Noah's daughter-in-laws had giant's blood in their veins, and that's how they came back after the flood. All kinds of fascinating questions. Can a Nephilim get saved? Um, there's the story of St. Christopher. Uh, St. Christopher is an early church uh, saint, and he was a dog-headed giant human. Let's talk about the, the animal heads. First of all, when we talk about the Nephilim corrupting Elohim's creation, they sinned against the animals according to the book of Enoch. What I think was going on before the flood is the the Nephilim were mixing the DNA of Elohim's creation, and that includes humans and animals as well, which is something that is going on today. There are articles uh, from all over, especially of Chinese human and monkey DNA they're mixing and coming up with these creatures. Um, I believe they're doing it in the United States, though it's not legal. The House of Representatives in 2021 tried to legalize it, but the Senate voted it down, um, so funding for uh, chimera research. Anyway, I believe that uh, the Nephilim were corrupting the DNA of Elohim's creation. What do you see when you see the Egyptian gods? You see half animal, half human uh, beings, um, Ra and all these deities with dog heads and Anubis and all that. Um, what are the Greek gods? They are superhumans. They have superpowers. I do believe that the DNA were corrupting, excuse me, the Nephilim were corrupting Elohim's creation, trying to make chimeras. When we talk about in the future, the Antichrist breathes life into the image of the beast. Wow, as Christians, we should step back and say breathing life into something, that's only something God can do. Well, if the Antichrist breathes life into the image of the beast, what is that? Is it AI? Did the Antichrist create AI or or come up with it? Is it a soulless chimera, a clone that doesn't have a soul that the Antichrist breathes specifically Um, Because we know the image of the beast stands in the temple in Jerusalem, and he knows, just by looking at you, he knows whether or not you are worshiping the Antichrist or not. Uh, That sounds a bit like AI. Um, Fascinating stuff we get into. 
The earth as it was, all the questions you have, or maybe some you not sure about, you're going to find it, I think, in one of Micah Van Huss's books available here at swrc.com, 1-800-652-1144. And we've got, what, a couple of minutes to go here yet. Do you think Jesus is coming soon? Are we there, uh, Micah? I always ask all my guests that. I hate to say yes or no, but it feels like it. It sure does feel like it. And that's you know, fascinating. You, we've we've studied about this our whole lives, but you read Matthew chapter twenty-four and other chapters in Scripture where it talks about what it will be like towards the end. Now, theoretically, theoretically, uh, there could be revival and the earth could last another ten thousand years. Um, theoretically, that could happen. But Matthew says there will be, and these two are fascinating. Uh, first of all, children will be disrespectful to parents. We've never seen that as much as we have now. But also, I noticed last year. I've read you know Matthew chapter twenty. I've read the Bible in my whole life. But something jumped out to me, and toward the end, uh, many will be offended. Wow. I mean, think about that. Many will be offended. We've never seen anything like what we see now with all the victims that are around. And so let me take a quick plug to say don't live your life as a victim. If you're a young listener, the United States, the politics going on, people want you to be a victim. They want you to be uh, a victim of something that happened to your ancestors or something that's going on that you should be a victim. No, you have a choice. You can live your life as a victim or you can live your life as a victor. And I highly recommend that if you're a young person, that you don't expect anybody to owe you anything, that you live your life for yourself. Our new book, Invisible War on the Saints, the whole theme throughout is, are you a victim or are you victor, victorious? And uh, we pray that you are. Great victory in Jesus. Micah, this has been fantastic and so interesting, as always. Thank you, Greg, for your inspiration. I do uh, mention you in the book um, when we talk about uh, demons and their ability to move across the planet instantaneously. Uh, I do mention you, so I thank you for your influence and your knowledge. Uh, I've really appreciated listening to you over the years and uh, meeting you with it. Fantastic. I look forward to being with you. We're coming up a big conference coming up in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I'm going to pray for you as you continue to write your book. going to pray for your family and that new baby, Scarlet. God's blessing upon you, my brother. Yes, sir. And folks can go to marginalmysteries.com to see all the books, all the t-shirts, and follow the program. Watchman on the Wall for one more day. Micah Van Huss has been our guest. God bless you. Thank you, Micah. Have a great day. Thank you, Greg. You too. You can now own the complete two-day conversation on the earth as it was on CD. When you call 1-800-652-1144, that's 1-800-652-1144. What did the Nephilim do to Elohim's creation? Did humans and dinosaurs coexist? How did men live into their 900s? What happened to the Garden of Eden? Who did Cain marry? Did a layer of water encompass the earth? In Micah Van Huss's book, The Earth As It Was, we study the firmament talked about throughout Scripture and the effects that it had on human lifespans and the size of reptiles. Join Micah as he takes a look at the antediluvian world and the overwhelming proof that the flood of Noah happened and that that flood changed the earth forever. Order The Earth As It Was today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online. Visit our website, swrc.com. The Earth As It Was is a book that everyone needs to read. 
1-800-652-1144. Be sure and ask how you can receive free shipping when you call 1-800-652-1144. Is Jesus God? If he is God, what kind of God is he? Josh Davis will explore the answer to these questions on tomorrow's program. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.